So I want to start, we're going to start a new teaching over these next few weeks leading up to Christmas. And if you have your Bibles, please flip over to uh, Isaiah chapter 42. Isaiah chapter number 42. Amen. I'm going to start reading today at verse number five. Isaiah chapter 42, verse number five. Amen. Amen. Isaiah 42, verse number five. The kids turned up back there in Jesus' name. Amen. That's a good sign. Amen. And today we're going to read verses five through 12 of Isaiah chapter number 42. Amen. And it says this. It says, God, the Lord, created the heavens and stretched them out. He created the earth and everything in it. He gives breath to everyone, life to everyone who walks the earth. And it is he who says, I, the Lord, have called you to demonstrate my righteousness. I will take you by the hand and guard you. And I will give you to my people Israel as a symbol of my covenant with them. And you will be a light to guide the nations. You will open the eyes of the blind. You will free the captives from prison, releasing those who sit in dark dungeons. Verse 8 says, I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to anyone else, nor share my praise with carved idols. Everything I've prophesied has come true. Now I will prophesy again. I will tell you the future before it happens. Sing a new song to the Lord. Sing praises from the ends of the earth. Sing all you who sail the seas, all who live in distant coastlands. Join in the chorus, you desert towns. Let the villages of Kedar rejoice. Let the people of Selah sing for joy. Shout praises from the mountaintops. Let the whole world glorify the Lord. Let it sing his praise. Amen. And if you're taking notes today, the title of today's message is for the glory of God, for the glory of God. Let us pray for a moment. Father, we thank you for your word today. Holy Spirit, let our hearts and our minds be good ground to hear from you, to receive your word. Give us a greater understanding of your glory. We love you. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Amen. For the glory of of God. This week I learned a phrase. You may have heard this phrase or may not have known this phrase. It's called gamma phobia. Anybody know what that is? Gamma phobia. Gamma phobia is the fear of commitment. The fear of commitment or another, another definition says the fear of marriage. <laughs> I said, my God, gamma phobia. Y'all know anybody? Lord, don't, okay, all right. Y'all know anybody that got some gamma phobia? Fear of commitment, fear of... You know, I find that in this generation of people that will date somebody for 10 years but scared to get married. My God, will live together and buy a house and open three bank accounts together and got 14 businesses but are afraid to commit to being married. My God, got four kids together but... You know, it was one time, Lord Jesus, I was working at a car dealership back in the... This is I was back in college and I was working there. And I met this lady that was working there and she had like three kids with this guy and they had been dating for like 13 years. And I was like, when y'all, when y'all get married? Ah, I don't know. I don't know, man. I just, you just what? <laughs> You've been dating for 13 years. You got three kids. I mean, good. I mean, Lord, ain't in some states, they call it a common law. I mean, they're just like, no, you just married now. We don't even care if you come down to the courthouse no more. <laughs> a fear of commitment. And we have many people, if, and if you marry, you know that marriage requires commitment. If you're a parent, you know that parenting requires commitment. If you're in the ministry like myself and some of you all other ministers and pastors, you know that ministry requires commitment. And most importantly, we believers in here, you know that following Jesus requires 
commitment. Commitment. That word is sometimes foreign for this generation. Commitment. Saying, I'm here. I'm all into this. I'm not going anywhere. I'm committed to following. I'm committed to showing up every day. I'm committed to being the best version of my, I'm committed to working out. I've been working out the last few weeks. I'm committed to getting out of debt. I'm committed to staying faithful to my wife. I'm committed. We got a lot of folks and we see with the divorce rate that many people are not as committed as they think they are. I know there are situations that arise that may cause situations to things that happen and this and that, but some of this stuff is like, maybe you don't understand what it means to be committed, to say, I'm all in. I'm not going. I'm not leaving. Even if it was in the book of Ruth, I believe. It was Ruth that told Naomi. She said, where you go, I'm going. She said, your people are going to be my people. Your God is going to be my God. Where you die, I'm going to die. Because she was saying, I'm committed to you. And what we have to understand in this month, on a side note, I'm calling this month Commitment Month. Commitment Month. Understanding what does it mean to be committed? Are we just fly by night type of Christians? Are we just, as they say, fair weather saints? The rain. People, some people didn't come to church because it was wet outside. Ah, it's wet. I don't know, Pastor. I can't get my shoes. <laughs> but you're here, so I'm assuming you're committed. Amen. But we have to begin to tap into commitment. We have to grow in our ability to commit and invest and say, I'm going to keep my word. I'm going to do what I said. I'm going to do. And the first type of commitment that we have to understand is the God type of commitment. And when I say that, you may be saying, oh, yeah, God is committed to me. No, that's not what I'm first saying. The first type of commitment I want you to know about God is not that he's committed to you. I know we preach that a lot. God loves you. He loves you more than anything. Yes, he does. I know that's true. Yes, I preach the same thing. But we get so stuck on God's commitment to us that we forget this very important thing, that God is first committed to being God. And God is first committed to his own glory. Y'all better hear that. God is first committed to being God. And he is first, before he's committed to you, he's committed to doing things for his own glory. He's not doing it for you. It's for his own glory. I know that sounds crazy. I know y'all like, what you talking about, Pastor? That sounds, no, no, no. I'm here to tell you, God ain't doing it for you. He doing it for him. <laughs> he doing this for his name. He doing it for his glory. He doing it so that he will be made great. And I know we've been taught and preached to that God is just for you. He blessing you for you. He healing you for you. He giving you money for you. He ain't giving it for you. He giving it so you will give him glory. He doing it so you will fall down on your face and worship him. It was never about you. It was never about you. The blessing was never about you. The promotion was never about you. The increase was never about you and I. It was never about us. It was always for his glory. God is first committed to being God. And we got to wrap our head around it. I know some of y'all looking like, oh my God, I never thought about it like that. I thought it was all for me. I thought Jesus just died for me. I thought it was just for me. No, no, no. He died so that the name of the Lord would be exalted. <laughs> Good God. Y'all got to hear this because it's going to shift us for a second to realize it ain't for you. It's for him. 
It's for his glory. It's so you will tell people about, not you, him. It's so you will tell, God blessed me. God, God opened the door. God made the way. God healed me. God, God is the, he said, I'm doing this so you will tell people about me. I'm not doing this so you can have your own testimony. I'm doing this so you will tell people how great I am. You ain't preaching for you, Pastor Corey. No, you preaching for me, man. Don't tell them about your opinion. Tell them how great I am. <laughs> Don't tell them how well you can sing. Tell them how great I am. Tell them how I healed you. Yeah, you got the healing, but tell them I did it. He said, you, you got the increase, but tell them I gave it to you. He, he, he said, you, you got the money, but tell them I'm the one that blessed you. It's for his glory. There's a theologian, his name is John Piper. You may have heard of him. He's from, I believe, Minnesota. He has this in his book. It's called Brothers, We're Not Professionals. It's a book to pastors. And he says this, that God's most fundamental allegiance is to his own glory. He is committed to being God before he is committed to being anything else. And this is the thing, if you're taking notes. The first thing is this, is that God alone has the resume to be God. God alone has the resume to be God. There is no one else on God's level. He even said this in this passage that we read earlier in Isaiah 42. It says, God, the Lord created the heavens and stretched them out. He created the earth and everything in it. He gives breath to everyone and life to everyone who walks the earth. God is the only one, the only being that has the track record and the receipts to be God. And God, the reason he is committed to being God before anything else is because if there was someone or something else on his level, he wouldn't be God. I say this to Archer all the time. We kind of say it jokingly. But I tell her, I say, God is the most God that could ever be God. And if there was ever another God that could be God, he wouldn't be God. Hear that again. If there was another God that could be God, he wouldn't be God. If there was something else he could bow down to, he wouldn't be God. And this is the thing. Jesus said it like this. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, rather, Paul says it like this. He says that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. Go on, hear that again. He said in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue shall confess or declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. He said that's coming a day. You might not do it now. They might rebel now. He said they might not understand it now, but that's going to come a day. He says every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess that Christ is Lord. And he's, I like the way he said it in his passage. He said in heaven, that means it's out there in the sky, whatever you, he said it's on earth, whatever idols we have created, whatever person. He said if it's under, he said the devil himself going to realize I'm God. <laughs> he said even the demons going to have to confess Jesus Christ is Lord. Because God alone is the only one with the track record to be God. He told Job this in Job chapter number 32, verse 4 and 7. When, when God, remember throughout the book of Job, God did not actually say anything until, I believe it was chapter number 38. God didn't say a word since the beginning, the first one or two chapters. And then Job went through his trials and it was Job and his friends talking. And when God finally responded, he said this in Job chapter 38, verse 4. He didn't respond to Job's problems. He just says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? I said, dang, God, you ain't like validate the man's problems. You ain't say, oh, yeah, Job, I know you've been going through a hard time. Let me think about that for a second. Job, y'all know the story of Job, right? He lost his, all this stuff. He lost his wife. He lost his kids. He lost all this stuff. And when God finally spoke to him, he said, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? 
He says, tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out its survey line? What supports its foundations and who laid its cornerstone? As the morning stars sang and all the angels shouted for joy. He responded to Job. He said, Job, you don't even know who I am. You don't even recognize who you're talking to. You don't even recognize who you're dealing with. He said, where were you at when the literal foundations of the earth were laid? He says, man, I'm God. Man. He said, all that stuff y'all talking about. It is... Lord Jesus, let me slow down. He said, all that stuff y'all fussing about, it pales in comparison to understanding. Where were you when I laid the foundation? Are you even in, are you, do you even have enough to have this conversation with me? And, and if you read this passage over the next two chapters, God says to Job, he says, he says, brace yourself like a man because I got some questions for you. <laughs> read your Bible. He said, Job, brace yourself because I got some questions. Because if you won't tell us what I'm going to do, no, I got some questions for you. Where were you? Do you know? Do you know where I keep the snow at? Do you know where I keep the lightning? He said, he said, I keep the lightning in the closet in the back door. You know, he, said, he said, do you know where I keep the, where I keep the rain at? He, he said, do you know I'm the one that tells the oceans don't go any further? I told stop right there, right at Wilmington, right down there at the beach down there on, on the East Coast. He said, I told the ocean, stop right there, don't go no further. He said, where were you? Do you know who I am? Because God has the resume to be God. In Isaiah chapter number 40, verse 12, it says this, another instance of God sharing his greatness. He said, who else has held the oceans in his hands? Who measured off heavens with his fingers? Who else, listen to this, knows the weight of the earth and has weighed the mountains and hills on a scale? God has established for a moment, hey guys, do y'all know who I am? That doesn't phrase, I, I, you know, people like to say, you know, I'm like that. You know, God's like, hey, I, I'm like that, Dan. You're like, I, I'm like, do you, do you know who I am? Do you know what I can do? Even in John chapter 21, we flip in the New Testament. John writing this about Jesus, who is God. Verse 25, John 21, 25 says, Jesus also did many other things. If they were all written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. John is telling us, he said, y'all think Jesus just did these few miracles that we wrote about in these few chapters? He said, if we started to write all the stuff that God did in the flesh, because remember, Christ is God in the flesh. Jesus Christ, as it tells us in Colossians, is the image of the invisible God. So he said, he said, remember, he told him, he told disciples, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So we recognize that Jesus is God in the flesh. And he said, do you think that God in the flesh only did enough to write 21 chapters? You think God only did enough in the flesh to only write a few books in a Bible? You think that, ah, you think that's all God can do? I know I love my Bible, but you think that's all God can do? He didn't stop doing miracles in Revelation. He didn't stop there. He didn't stop doing miracles just because the 66 books ended, but he's still doing them now because as we said, God is alone has the resume to be God. He's the only one that can say, I'm doing it for my glory. I'm doing it for me. And we are witnesses to this fact because I, I promise you, if you look over your life, <laughs> you'll look and see, oh, he's been God the whole time. He's been sovereign the whole time because he's the only one with the track record enough to be God. But this is the next thing is that, and we said this earlier, but I'm, we're going to drill down a little bit, is that God does everything for his glory. God does everything, hear that, for his glory. For his glory. God does everything. Everything 
for his glory, not for yours, not for mine, so that he can be great. Because God is God and there is no one else beside him, near him, next to him, or above him, he does everything so that his name is made great. God is committed to being sure that he gets the glory. God is committed to being sure that when it's all said and done, that he gets the glory. And what do we mean by the glory of God? What is the glory of God? Some words that would describe this would be the presence of God, the essence of his greatness, or the honor, the praise, the splendor, the importance, and the distinction. God does everything so that he receives the honor. God does everything so that he receives the recognition and the splendor and the distinction of being God. And so, Corey, you, Pastor Corey, you mean to tell me that God was not doing all this for me? <laughs> that it wasn't just because he loved me so much? That God wasn't just waking me up every day just because he loves me? No. No. It's not just because he loves you. It's not just because you're the apple of his eye. It's not just because, I'm not saying that's not part of it. Now, hear me. Now, we get into it. I'm not saying that's not a part of it. But I'm saying first and foremost, he's doing it for his glory. Now, you may think I'm talking crazy. Let's go to the word. What do the scriptures say? Come on now, we got to go to the Bible scholars in here. God saved us for his glory. Ephesians chapter number one, verse 12 through 14. It says, God's purpose was that we Jews who were the first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles, speaking of those who are not Jews, have also heard the truth like us, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised you long ago. So now he said, I gave you the Holy Spirit, but why did I do it? It said, the, verse 14 says, the Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us an, the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. So he made us his own. He gave us the Holy Spirit. But the end of that verse, it says, what does it say? He did this so we would praise and glorify him. He saved you, filled you with the Holy Ghost so you would give him the glory. Not so you can shout. Not so you can speak in tongues. That's a part of it. But he did all that. You full of the Holy Ghost. You as powerful as you are. So you continue to give him praise and him glory. Let's keep going. He created us for his glory. Isaiah chapter 43 verse 7. It says, bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them for my distinction. <laughs> so I've made them for me to get the praise. I, I've made them for me to get the honor. I've made them so my name would be great. I made them for my glory. It is I who created them. It was I who created them. Let's keep going. God provides for us for his glory. In Psalm 23, verses 2 and 3, it says, He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me peacefully beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. I like the King James. It says, for his name's sake. It says he leads you beside the still waters so you make his name great. Let's keep going. God delivers us for his glory. In Psalm 79, verse 9, it says, help us, O God of our salvation. Help us for the glory of your name. Save us and forgive us our, forgive our sins for the honor 
of your name. God does everything for his glory. You know, there's some passages, I believe in Ezekiel, where, he, where, where Ezekiel's prophesying, and God begins to say, I'm going to deliver y'all so that the other nations don't think that I'm not God. Y'all ever read your Bible? He would tell the Israelites sometimes, he said, I'm going to deliver you, but I'm going to do it so the nations will know that I'm God. So the nations will know that I'm great. He said, I ain't setting just for you. I'm going to get you out of that just so people will know I'm, I'm still God. I don't. And what he would tell them, and I'm paraphrasing. He would basically tell them, he said, I don't want y'all messing up my name. I don't want you still in that foolishness messing up my name. I ain't saying God is angry with God about it. I'm just saying. He said, I don't want you in that. No, no, no. I'm setting you on a solid foundation for my name. For my name. It's for his glory. It's for his praise. But this is the thing. When we dive into that, and you may be thinking, well, dang. I was like, What's, so where I fit in that? <laughs> We're trying to make it practical. So what does that mean for us? What it first means is that you better make sure everything you're doing is for his glory. Because if, if God going to do everything for his glory, surely we have to do everything for his glory. We'll talk about that next week. But this is the thing. This is, this is the security for us is that we are secure because God is committed to his glory. Hear that again. We are secure because God is committed to his glory. Because you may first be thinking, well, man, God is just selfish. He's out for himself. He's not concerned about me. No, 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 no. Because remember, God is too perfect and too holy to have a worldly selfishness. Remember, we're talking about God. We're not talking about your mother-in-law. I love Miss Trudy. She back there. I know she heard me say that. That just kind of rolled out. Thing. We're not talking about your kids. God is not selfish like us. He remember he told him Isaiah. He said, "My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways." So for me to say God is first committed to His glory, we immediately think about a selfish dad or a selfish spouse or something. No, no, no. God is not like that. God is too perfect and holy to have that type of selfishness. What this means, and this is what another another uh, quote from my man John Piper, the theologian John Piper, he says this that God's love for His own God love, excuse me, God's love for the glory of His own name is the spring of free grace and the rock of our security. Because guess what? We get the benefits of God being God. We receive the benefits of God being God. Think about this. Even in the New Testament, the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter number six, the very first part of that, Jesus told him, he said, pray like this in Matthew six and nine. He said, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Or the NLT says, may your name be kept holy. Now think about this. The disciples were asking Jesus, teach us how to pray. And Jesus tells them, the first thing I want you to pray is that God keeps his name holy. Think about that. And the springboard of everything else we pray, give us this day our daily bread. Deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation. That is all after we pray that he keep his name great. So what we have to understand is that the foundation of our prayers, of us receiving the daily bread, the freedom, the freedom from temptation, all of that, it comes after he keeps his name great. Because uh, this is the thing. If he keeps his name great, he'll do for you to keep his name. Jesus told him, first pray like this. This is all I want you to first pray. God, keep your name great. And as a response to your name being great, now will be the overflow of everything else we are praying. We are receiving the benefits of God keeping his name great. We receive every day the benefits and the residuals of God glorifying his own name. 
And this is the thing I thought about this too as well, because think about this. Jesus instructs us even a little more. I didn't put the scripture there. But remember, he told him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength. But then he tells him this, love your neighbor as yourself. So we always contend and we teach, if you don't love yourself, how are you going to love your neighbor? Right? And so God, in a God kind of way, says, I'm going to love you as I love me. He's telling us, do the same thing I've done. Love your neighbor like you care and love for yourself. So, so God's like, I'm going to glorify my name. You glorify my name too. And we all get the benefits of my name being glorified. Come on, y'all. That's good teaching, Pastor Corey. You better get that, man. That's, put that on YouTube. Because it's an overflow. Even like you, as you care for yourself, you care for others, correct? Right? And you ever found somebody that don't have love themselves? They ain't got a compliment for nobody because they don't love themselves. How you going to take care of somebody else? How you going to take care of your kids and your... Hey man, let me get out of that. We have to recognize, finally, and I'm wrapping this up, and come to grips with the God-centered nature of God. I'm going to say that again. We have to recognize and come to grips with the God-centered nature of God. And it forces us to challenge our own assumptions and desires to be the center of the universe. We ain't the center of the universe. God is. And this is the thing. Ah, this is so good. Because I, I like, I, I Piper says this, I was reading about this. Piper says this, he says a lot of people, they're okay with, with he, was, he was like, they're okay with God being God-centered as long, or they're okay with God being the center of the universe as long as God is focused on them. As long as he's man-centered, we're okay with God saying, oh, okay, you be, but to make sure you me. But no, no. He says, let's break this tradition. Let's break this mindset and let's get a first understanding that God is first committed to himself. That God is first committed to his glory. And as we'll deal with next week and we'll keep talking about, we receive the benefits of it. And now we see, now when you read all these scriptures that says, like it says in Colossians, do everything for the glory of God. Whatever you do, whatever you do for work, do it for the glory of God. God is able to tell us all that stuff because he's like, I'm doing everything for my glory. So now you fall in line with me and do everything for my glory. Amen? Amen. Amen. Come on, let's pray.